Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of About Abroad, where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe. We're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad, remote work, visas, and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps. If you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas, maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel, retiring or studying abroad, or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. My guest today is Andy Wood. He is the principal or the headmaster, depending on where you're from in the world, of the Green School in Cape Town, South Africa. So we're going to spend some time talking a little bit about South Africa and the beauty of Cape Town. But we spend most of our time focused on the Green School and what exactly they are doing that's so different and becoming so world famous there. If you're unfamiliar with the Green School, this is basically a place where they teach kids in a very sustainable, forward-thinking, green, as you might expect, way. And kind of get the kids outside of the classroom and, and think a little bit differently and work through feedback loops. But it really caters to those families who are traveling, who want to hop from one place to the next, maybe spend six months in South Africa and six months in Bali and six months in New Zealand. They have green schools in these different locations and they're opening up more of them. So it's fascinating to learn not just how they're teaching the kids and the way they're going about that, but also how they're catering to the modern nomadic traveling family and people who want to go spend some time in some other places and give their kids a great education along the way. It was super interesting to hear how they're doing that at the Green School and how passionate Andy is about this. So we had a lot of fun. I really hope you'll like this one. Please help me in welcoming Andy to About Abroad. Hey, Andy, welcome to About Abroad. Thank you for stopping by. How's it going today? Chase, thanks so much for inviting me to join your program. It's a real honor, and I'm excited to be part of your, your young and growing podcast. Thank you. Well, I, I think people are going to be really interested to, to hear from you. The ones that listen to this show consistently have heard me say it before, that one of the questions I get asked the most is something along the lines of, somebody will say, hey, I love the show. I love what people come on here and talk about. That was cool when I was 20 because I could go travel and live wherever I wanted and, and bounce around to different countries. But now I'm a bit older. I've got kids and I can't take them out of school and put them in somewhere else. And there's just no way for me to do that. So I guess I'll just have to listen, right? And uh, and so I love debunking this myth um, that there is a way. And so anyway, I think I think it's going to be really interesting to dive into the to the Green School today. Great. Yeah. And we have a, a good number of international families have come to join us. And uh, yeah, I can share something of their story with you. And uh, it, it's been fantastic to see those families join us from all around the globe. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, it's a, the, the Green School uh, in, as an entity is becoming very famous in this, in this world of traveling families and people who want to live in some of these digital nomad hubs. So We'll get into all that. I think it would be great to to set a little bit of the stage for the audience here. So I happen to know where you are. You're in you're in Cape Town, South Africa, and that is where your where home is today and where you're from. But you've bounced around the globe a little bit. So maybe give us a little bit of context on your on your background and then bring us back to where you are uh, currently. Yeah, so born and raised in Cape Town, went to school here, studied to, to become a teacher and taught in local schools uh, and very sort of traditional boys schools uh, with, with large rugby fields and a chapel in the middle, very much in that sort of British public school model. 
My dad went to such a school. I attended the school myself. So I've had a, a considerable sort of grounding in a, a liberal education. And then moved into school leadership, and that led into international baccalaureate schools. And I was the founding principal of the International School of Cape Town and established that in Hart Bay, and then spent five very happy years there. And then a door opened to go and live in Dubai. And I, I moved to the United Arab Emirates and headed up a a big international school there, not so big by American standards, 1,300 students, but by our standards, that, that was a big school and a, a really fantastic experience. It was a truly international school, about 83 different nationalities there. And, and I really uh, enjoyed the school and, and as a professional opportunity, it was amazing. Dubai is a, a challenging country to live in. It's really flat and really hot. I'm a keen outdoorsy sort of guy. I love the mountains and I love the sea and the beach. And uh, yeah, so I, I found it quite challenging to find sort of stuff to do on the weekends there. But profession was a really a great opportunity. And international schools tend to fall into sort of one of two categories. They're sort of schools that are trying to be a, a, a little bit of the home country away from home. You know, they're an, an American school somewhere or a British school somewhere or a Japanese school somewhere. And then there are those schools that are wanting to be a, a truly international school and trying to be as multicultural as possible and uh, welcome a, a really diverse range of, of, of students and families and so on. And my school was definitely in the second category and, and we really, really enjoyed that. And then an opportunity opened up to go and live in and work in Nassau, Bahamas, and I spent some time there. Um, and then I got to hear Green School and the Green School movement and uh, this opportunity arose to be the founding principal of a new green school here in South Africa. So a little bit of the story there is that Green School Bali, I think, is, is really well known internationally. And uh, many parents who've traveled there have have stayed there for a while and thought, gee, we've got to go and establish green school back home. And Alban Herman Brunt, a local South African family, took their three daughters over there and they had a, an absolutely inspirational, transformative time uh, at green school in Bali and came back and said, we've got to start Green School South Africa. So it's one family's vision for, for starting Green School here. Michael and Rachel Perrett did a similar thing with Green School in New Zealand. And there's a, a Green School in New Zealand that opened up in Taranaki, a little town near New Plymouth. So Taranaki is a little town near New Plymouth, kind of on the western side of New Zealand. So there's three green schools around the world, one in the sort of the, the mothership in Bali, and then our two sister schools in New Zealand and South Africa. And yeah, we've been open for a year exactly. So it's been an incredible opportunity to design the campus, design the buildings, design the curriculum, everything about education for sustainability. So what kind of bricks should we use? Uh, how do you design plaster uh, that is environmentally sensitive? How do we be as off the grid as possible when it comes to power generation? I'll talk about the, the campus design later, but every element of the campus very, very carefully designed uh, to be as sustainable and off the grid as possible. That is that is fascinating and not that was actually not a portion of the Green School story that I actually knew until I started prepping a little bit for this conversation. So that I found to be incredibly inspiring about Green School when it's already an inspiring story because of what you guys are doing based on the curriculum and the flexibility that you offer families that are kind of coming and going. So maybe probably a large portion of the audience that's just hasn't heard of Green School before. And so they don't even know the story behind Bali. So maybe we go back to the roots. I've, I, I'm not really sure what you think, but that seems like a good place to go. And initially, let's kind of talk about the roots of Green School in Bali and what it's all founded on. Yeah. So John and Cynthia Hardy were an, are an entrepreneurial couple uh, living in Bali. And probably oh, must be about 12 years ago, John Hardy saw that uh, movie, An Inconvenient Truth. And it really just gave him a, 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 a call to conscience to say, we've got to do something about climate change and our impact on the planet. And let's do that through education. And Linked to that, he began to read some education research published by a man called uh, Alan Wagstaff, the Three Springs book, uh, but, but looking at just what works in terms of education. And so just 
with those two ideas in his mind, just founded a school quite unlike any other and uh, gathered around him a, an education team who are just absolutely committed to education for sustainability and to teaching and learning in a, a very 21st century skills, forward thinking, innovative, student centered, inquiry based, hands on experiential way of learning mm -hmm. and uh, so they, they, they founded the school perhaps a, a unique feature of the school is that the architecture of it being embodied the, the whole school is made of bamboo and none of the classrooms have walls really so being a tropical climate a, a building in, in bali has four posts in the corners and a roof to keep the rain off wow all the kids run around barefoot um there are no school uniforms and so it just has a very different feel to it and that wallless feeling permeates through all sort of elements of the curriculum so there there are no walls between the different subjects and so subjects are taught in an integrated thematic kind of way in which we're looking at links between mathematics and history and music and science uh, and geography and agriculture and, and looking wanting to see just how are things connected you know i think our traditional model you very much go to the maths lesson you learn mathematics and prepare for the mathematics test and then you leave and you go to history and and the one has no link to the other at all whereas at green school we very intentionally design a curriculum that is interwoven and so that learning has context it has meaning and uh, we want our children to understand why am i learning this thing you know why is it important to know estimation and probability and and how would i ever use these thinking skills in real life so it, it started as, as a relatively small school in bali and it has continued to grow over the 12 years and now there's a teacher training element to it there's green school for grown-ups uh, there are camps that run from there there's they've reached out to a large part of the balinese population who come and attend the school too because the core of the school in bali is is expats who go and live there and send their kids to school they use it as a, an educational experience for their children and then many people arrive there for a semester or two or three or four and have stayed there for five, six, seven, eight years or however long and have made Bali home. And wow. uh, we're hoping that we're going to see a similar trend here as people come and discover South Africa or New Zealand and go and have an, an opportunity to just enjoy our fantastic country. Is it true that, is there an, the idea of opening one in Tulum in Mexico too, or is that a rumor? No, that, that's next on the cards. I know that COVID slowed things down a bit, but they're back on track. And uh, I'm not quite sure of the opening date, but that is the next one that is on the cards. Wow. It's not, it's not yet open. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, something, uh, I, I had somebody on the show a couple seasons ago, a friend of mine named Igor, who lives lived in Bali for 10 plus years. I don't remember exactly. And he was was there towards the beginning of green school and he just i don't remember exactly at what stage he got involved but he was involved with um starting the summer camps and things like that and i, I think he's the one that really put it on my radar but i was fascinated because he was say, he kind of you know kind of jokingly but i mean seriously said like yeah you know rather than doing arithmetic on a board a whiteboard we go out and we say you know here's four coconuts here's three coconuts how many coconuts do you have and that's the way the kids are are learning and i just thought wow that sounds so much more stimulating than sitting in a closed-in box in a room in a chair where everything looks the same every single day. Yeah. You know, the, the classroom that I attended all the way through school had the windows really high, so you couldn't see out of the classroom. Desk yeah. windows. You had to focus on your textbook in front of you and be quiet, sit still, pay attention now. But if you can teach the same concepts with a far more hands-on experiential inquiry-based model. Now, how many coconuts are there? What's the square root of the coconuts? What would happen if you had twice the number of coconuts? You could still teach the same concepts, but in a way the children would understand and remember a whole lot better. Yeah. What did, could you elaborate a little more on what you meant about the integration of the subjects? I'm curious from a non-educator standpoint, I'm trying to envision what math and social studies and English class would have looked like if they were integrated and not separate. And uh, I'm, I'm sure it's better. So 
what identifies perhaps a theme for the term? Uh, let's take, for example, in my school, we're working with uh, one of the uh, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, and uh, that would be responsible production and consumption. And so it's looking about what is ethical business and, and how do we produce and consume things ethically? And then how do we hang some of our mathematics problems around that? And that might be to do with data and data harvesting and statistics and so on, or numbers and estimation and probability and so on. We would then be looking at, at some science around that theme. And it mm. might be to do with climate change and, and how would we track climate change and what data would we gather? How would we know that data to be relevant? How do we interrogate, interrogate the, the truthfulness of the data that we have? And so you'd be looking at the, the science of climate change and how that might affect the agricultural production of Cotton. Then from a, a geography point of view, they were studying, where, where, tell me about t-shirts. So where's the cotton grown? And uh, it's shipped to the mills. And then when it's made into cotton fabric, how is that then cut up and made into t-shirts? And then how is that distributed planet-wide? And um, oh, how many tons of t-shirts are produced every year? And uh, and what happens to old t-shirts? Where, where do they go to die? And then we had a really fascinating lesson in which the children look at the labels on t-shirts. And uh, we had purchased for the school a t-shirt that said made from recyclable material. But as they actually looked at the label and the fine print, they worked out, in fact, these were made from pretty much the same fabric that every other t-shirt was made from. And so there was a lot of discussion about greenwashing and uh, people who put, you know, environmentally friendly and recyclable and so on, on all sorts of products that are definitely not recyclable. And and how would you interrogate that? And so it, it was a, a fascinating discussion looking at the economics of t-shirt production, the agriculture of cotton farming, uh, the mathematics of the, 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 the costing of t-shirts. How could you produce a t-shirt for so many dollars? Uh, the science of climate change and how that might affect t-shirt production. So it, it all links together. And one's trying to create a thread in which you are, are still teaching fractions in mathematics, poetry in English, a set work in literature, photosynthesis in science, but making sure that there's a, a story to it that puts context to learning. Fascinating. And so this is quite different from the school system you grew up in, I'd see, I'm, I'm guessing, and, and where you even got your start in your career. What attracted you to this type of opportunity? I mean, obviously it brought you back home, but I imagine you could have had plenty of opportunities to come back home if that was the draw. So there's something about the way the green school's doing yeah. something different that it seems like probably attracted you. So th there's so much research to show that the traditional model of education is broken and that raising children through a system, which just simply makes sure you download a lot of information that children can memorize as much as possible to score marks or grades in tests and quizzes. And, and that marks quality education. And that uh, we, 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 we download as, as, as much information as we can into kids' brains and make sure that they've got very long examinations to write uh, so that they can get percentages from six hour exam. Then we've done a really brilliant job. And, and we know that model doesn't work. And we know that you know, research shows that high school kids worldwide, about 70% report being bored at school. You know, they're, they're just not engaged with the system and certainly not preparing children for success at college and success of the workplace in the future. And, and in education, we read this research all the time and think, well, what can we do differently and how can we do it? And here's an opportunity to start afresh and to say, how do we teach? You know, what does success look like? What are our core skills and values? And how do we teach uh, our, our students at Green School to be creative, to think critically, to see things in systems, uh, to see themselves as agents of positive change, uh, to know themselves well enough, to know thyself so that you can then be a positive influence on the world around you. To be able to be adaptable and flexible uh, and, and cope with uncertainty. And boy, has COVID taught that over the last couple of years. And those skills which we would call, you know, some would call them 21st century learning skills, are at the heart of what we're wanting to do. And long after you've forgotten the, the, the life cycle of a t-shirt that is made in China, 
you will have remembered those research skills and, and the problem solving skills and the presentation skills you learned along the way. When you stand up in a, a boardroom in the future or whether you're selling secondhand surfboards on Maui Beach, uh, whatever you choose to do, that you, you've learned a set of skills that prepare you to succeed in the world of the future. Uh, the, the audience can't see it, but I can. I mean, it, it lights your face up talking about it. It's it's clear that you're very passionate about your work. I love it. <laughs> Guilty as charged. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, I think uh, I, most of us sitting here, you know, I think uh, I'm I'm in my 30s and like I, for instance, just uh, I'm, I'm living here in Spain. I took some Spanish classes and I went down one line of education for a little while that was basically just prepping me for a test that a test to get a certification that I don't need. I mean, I'm just studying the language just for my... I would much rather learn how to speak than to pass some arbitrary test that's not really useful in the streets. And it was I was reminded during that process of like, this really reminds me of every end of year, end of grade testing that I ever went through during my schooling system, which was just basically just learning how to pass a test and then just charging that information out of my brain right afterwards. And so I, I can just envision being at one of the green schools, how you would you would kind of be digging your your fingers into the, the content a little bit more. It seems it's much, seems much more hands-on. We'll be right back to the show after a quick break for a note from our sponsor. This season is brought to you by my good friends over at Insured Nomads. They're the absolute best in the business when it comes to providing health, travel, and medical insurance for nomads, expats, and really just all forms of world travelers. I know insurance is often something that's overlooked when we're fantasizing about traveling the world, but it's absolutely necessity that we address this because often the policy you have in your home country isn't going to cover you while you're abroad. And it's also a requirement, as a lot of people may not realize, to actually buy private travel or expat insurance, as it's called sometimes, to obtain a visa or even enter certain countries. So fortunately, there are companies like Insured Nomads to help us with this. Not only do they have excellent coverage and great prices, but they're also providing a first-class experience with additional perks and best-in-class technology via their app. It's, a, it's an amazing experience. I can't recommend it enough. Now, this is a company that was built by world travelers for world travelers. So they know what it's like to find yourself in a difficult medical situation abroad, and they want to keep you from having that same bad experience. So the next time you're planning a trip abroad, whether it's for a week or a lifetime, check out Insured Nomads via the link in the show notes. Hey guys, if you're still around and enjoying this episode, then I think you might actually like our once a month newsletter as well. If you'd like to sign up, just open up the show notes of the episodes you're currently listening to, scroll down and look for aboutabroad.com slash newsletter. It takes about 30 seconds to sign up. It's a fantastic way to support the show. And I think you'll be pleased with the information that we provide every month as well. Okay, now back to the episode. Is it based, is the schooling system based on any kind of more well-known philosophy? Like I, I, I'm not really well-schooled in this area, but like Montessori or something like that, or is it, is it its own thing? I think in terms of its teaching methodology, you'd find it pretty close to the International Baccalaureate Primary Years Program. As we move into the high school, we're writing an American high school diploma. So we begin to amass credits in grade 9, 10, 11, and 12, and we're putting together uh, sufficient credits to get that diploma together. And uh, we, we're in the process of being accredited by the New England Association of Schools and Colleges. So there is that college readiness, university readiness element at the end of the process. So what we teach is very similar to any other school anywhere. How we teach it and how we assess it is very different. So we're moving away from tests and marks to giving really good feedback. And behind that is, 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 a, is a growth mindset. So instead of saying, 
D Chase, I'm, I'm really sorry you you failed the test. You got 45 percent. Andy, you passed the test. You got 51 percent. Well done. And then Chase goes home and thinks, well, I failed the test. That must mean I'm useless at mathematics. It, it's it's evidence that I'm stupid. Whereas if you reframe it to say, this is difficult work, and 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 you didn't get it right the first time. So let's have a look at where you went wrong, and let's see where we identify where you where you made those mistakes, and let's see if we can get it right the next time. And then the feedback to parents is, we, we've been dealing with I don't know three dimensional objects in mathematics. Your son or daughter has really understood uh, squares and cubes, but hasn't quite got cylinders yet. So let's work together on understanding the volume of cylinders. Now, that's information you can do something about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a feedback loop there. C for mathematics, teasing progress. Well, that that doesn't tell you anything at all. And then what we are working on too, and and this is a work in progress, is co-constructing assessment rubrics. So I I was sitting in an English class recently, grade eight English, and they were working on their literature essays. And the teacher was explaining, how would we assess the literature essay? So what would be the elements of it that need to be there? Well, introduction, uh, body, conclusion. Uh, You need to be able to, construct the 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 line of logic you need to be able to describe what's happened and then how would we know that you've sort of done this really well you've done it okay uh you're near to to it or you've completely off the mark and let's write those statements together so that the students have had a voice not only in designing the, the the learning journey but in designing the assessment rubric which means they go into the assessment knowing this is exactly what's going to be expected of me. You know, when you did your car driver's license, you knew, well, I'm going to need to be able to parallel park. I've got to be able to do a hill start. There are a number of skills I know I'm going to be able to demonstrate. And you can practice those so that you, you're able to demonstrate them. Similarly, really authentic assessment enables the, the, the student to show what they know and that there's not that sense of, of unexpectedness. I don't know if you felt like I did when I went into exams, but I had this, this gnawing worry that they'd find out how stupid I really was. And they'd find those little nuggets of information I'd forgotten to learn and that the job of the examiner was to sort of cast a, a searchlight into my brain and to find out, ah, he hasn't learned about you know, uh, thunderstorms or he hasn't learned about earthquakes or whatever. Right, let's ask a question about that. So it's creating positive assessment frameworks that, that allow children to show what they know. And it, it's, it's in a positive uh, feedback loop so that you can say, right, if you want to improve your, your grade, this is the stuff you need to work on. So what are the next steps in learning? So giving feedback in that kind of way. And yes, further down the line, there will need to be grades and uh, as we get into the high school diploma, and that does need to become more rigorous. And there is a place for, for quizzes and tests, uh, but there's also a place for science experiments. There's also a place for English essays. There's also a place for doing uh, poster presentations or verbal presentations. So we assess in a wide variety of ways. I love it. There's a, And this, what's interesting is that, you know, I've in my in what I've come to know about the Green School, I actually did not realize that there would be so much information here that it was actually on the surface pretty similar to a regular school that most students are attending where there you know there are cl- courses and classes like mathematics and geography and geology and things like this that other students are learning too because i think what people get wrapped up in is and maybe what we could go to next is some of the the more alternative aspects of the school like for instance kids growing the the food that they're going to eat at lunch the next day and so i wonder if you can kind of take us on to the to the other side of the green school and and some of these more i don't know extreme might not be the right word, but some of these these things that you really don't get at another school at all. Yeah. So there are all sorts of learning opportunities. So one of the beautiful features of Green School South Africa is that we're located in the winelands uh, about 50 miles from Cape Town. So we're surrounded by beautiful vineyards, purple mountains. Um, it, it's absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. The majority of our, our school grounds are gardens and we have vegetable gardens. We've got fruit gardens everywhere. And the children are involved in 
planting all the plants or the veggies uh, out there, tending them. We've got a little chicken coop and uh, they, they harvest the eggs every day. And uh, today I watched a group of kids harvesting tomatoes, uh, bell peppers and beans. Yeah, there's a whole lot of beans coming in. And there are 10 types of beans growing there. And we serve a healthy vegetarian lunch each day. And the food that's harvested that day is put into the lunch. And so the children know they harvest all the food that we eat every day. Of course, in reality, we have to buy some extras in because we don't really grow enough. But there's that real sense of seed to table. And along the way, there was an opportunity today to stop and talk about the bees that had moved into the basil bush. And they just love the flowers in the basil bush. So there are five or six types of bees gathering around there. And there was just a long discussion about bees and butterflies around the basil bush. And well, how many bees are there? Would you say they're 10 or 100 or 1,000 or a million or a zillion? And you know, how would we estimate that? So there's a really good mathematical conversation there. There was a discussion about natural pesticides and herbicides and companion species planting. So we planted marigold flowers in between the veggies because they exude a kind of chemical from their root that frightens some of the aphids away. So just how do we in a sustainable uh, permaculture responsible way manage pests and, and things that want to come and eat eat all the veggies uh, the children were involved in working out the length and breadth of each flower bed and there was a food grain competition so we had to weigh you know how many pounds or kilograms of onions and tomatoes and carrots and broccoli had we grown um, and and what grows most quickly and through that they're learning about seasons and then there's a long discussion about why are leaves green <laughs> what that's that's a fantastic question to to try to answer. Yeah, I mean, why 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 aren't they blue or brown or red? Or, and why would they turn red and yellow at the end of the the year? And and what happens there? So there's a long discussion. So much learning can happen out there. What also happens is the kids get out of the classroom quite regularly, which means they keep moving and active. And I've got no doubt with the blood flowing around, it keeps your brain happier. And in fact, you learn better. Uh, we see relatively few behavioral incidents in the life of the school. And I think the amount of walking they do around the grounds and space really helps to that big calm, tranquil atmosphere that pervades the school. It's, it's got a very special atmosphere, a great vibe to it. And it just, as you walk in, you just sense this peacefulness to the place. So, so we have a recycling center on site and we have a zero waste to landfill policy in our school. So for example, after lunch, all the food scraps are scraped into a little bowl and they're taken down to the compost heap and are made into compost, which will be put into the flower beds for the, for the next season. Papers recycled and, and kids are learning that there are nine different types of plastic and not all plastic can be recycled and it all has to be sorted out very, very carefully. So there's a lot of learning that happens there. We generate solar power on site and uh, there's an app which one can download on one's computer or phone and you can see exactly how much solar power generated and you can compare a hot summer's day to an overcast day to a rainy day um, and and are, is that meeting our power needs and what's really interesting for the kids to see is when the kitchen starts preparing lunch our power up spikes upwards uh, and, and so for the kids to see just the daily routine of our power production and consumption lots of interesting science and mathematics around that too we have a, a, a sewage recycling plant on site all the water we pump up from a local river we store in dams and it gets uh, spread out over the site so essentially we're harvesting more water from the site than we're using. Uh, we, we're generating our solar power on site. You'll never be completely off-grid, but we're wanting the children to see just how it is possible to live off-grid as much as you can. And for example, when we buy the, the vegetables for our kitchen, we ensure they don't come in plastic packets. And we've had just a lengthy process with the suppliers to ensure that they're all delivered in wooden boxes or crates, which they can take back and reuse. Wow. Wow. They're getting so much education just by osmosis, just by seeing that and witnessing that that's how the food is delivered, not as opposed to getting it in a plastic bag, for instance, from the grocery store. I remember a really kind of like funny, but sort of sad moment being around a, a younger child who said to us that they didn't understand that meat didn't come from the grocery store. And 
and that, you know, just didn't think beyond that part of the supply chain. And I remember thinking like, wow, that, that totally got missed. You're, you know, you're 12 or 14 years old or something. And that, that didn't get covered in, in school somewhere along the way. And so anyway, you're, the kids at the green school are, are witnessing this, this the, the process in a natural standpoint, which I think is really, really amazing. I mean, the fifth graders had to design the chicken house. Uh, we bought eight uh, chickens. For the first two weeks, they didn't lay any eggs at all. There was an enormous amount of research done into why, why they were shy layers. Turns out, I think that uh, a lot of kids running around make a lot of noise and that distracts the chickens. And we discovered that quiet over the weekend that they started laying eggs but they've settled into their routine but they've also learned that you've got to you give the chickens water every day and they need to be fed seven days a week and who's going to look after them saturdays and sundays and a whole lot of life lessons about being responsible for something yeah there's, i mean there's so that's that's the way you learn later in life is you pick up you know you pick up skills as you go you see things you learn things and you apply them to real life and i think with the fixed curriculum that a lot of us are fed there's just not a lot of room for for that it's mostly just taking in what you're given and there's not a lot of room for flexibility. And so I think that's what's very attractive to the people that I've talked to that have sent kids to the green school. That's something that's very attractive to them, I think, for their for their children. Perhaps just to talk about some of our, our international families, and these are families who've relocated, just some of their experiences that it is certainly possible, particularly with, with younger kids. And we're perhaps talking about sort of elementary school up to grade 10, 11, so ages 10, 11, and 12, grade four, five, and six, to go and spend a semester three months or six months or a year in another school in another country. What's involved is ensuring that, that you found a school that's got a similar ethos to your, your, your school. I think everybody's worried that if I leave my current education system for a year, kids will hit Control-Alt-Delete. Their entire memories will be erased. Uh, they will arrive back completely complete numbskulls and they won't ever catch up. You know, there's that sense of you've you've got to keep on the treadmill and if you get off the treadmill, you'll never get back on. They will certainly learn a whole lot of language skills, mathematics skills, science skills in any context, anywhere. And, you know, I'd encourage people to to travel because living in different cultures and different climates and eating different food teaches you so much. And the experience of of a family of just having to travel together, you know, will really draw you close together. Inevitably, as a family, you will end up spending more time together because you will have Spend your weekends together going, you know, if you live in Cape Town or Nepal, the beaches are beautiful. The walks on the mountains are amazing. We've got mountain biking trails and trail running here and rock climbing and hiking and sailing and sea kayaking and kiteboarding and surfing. So if you're into outdoor sports, this is this is one of the places to be. I think what Whistler is to Canada, uh, Canterbury is to New Zealand. Cape Town is to South Africa. It's just a, a really outdoorsy kind of place. So you, you'll spend a lot of time just doing those things together as a family. Your children will learn plenty of mathematics and science. Uh, you, they will return far, far the richer for it. Uh, they will not have forgotten how to learn. Now, on the other hand, they will have learned how to learn and, and they will catch up very, very quickly when they return to your home country. My family, we, we lived abroad for a while too, and it certainly has created for them a real hunger to engage with and live in different cultures. Often we, we it is our human nature to think that people like me are good. People who are different to me must be weird or strange or different. And when you live in different cultures, you just realize, well, yeah, I, I have my funny taste in food and my particular taste in music or clothing, and that's just a product of where I come from. And wasn't it amazing to go and live in India and eat Indian food and just to enjoy a different culture? And the food's very different to back home. And wasn't it wonderful? And to just appreciate your home culture and to appreciate other cultures and to have really engage with those people, not as a tourist staying in a luxury hotel, driving a bus around a city, but really having met people. And uh, I'd I, I really encourage you to do that. Some of the logistical side of it is you need to organize your visas and passports and so on, and, and you need to 
ensure that you've got rights to to live as a, a temporary resident or permanent resident of the country. Uh, the children, if they're coming to South Africa, they will need study permits. And parents, there are different ways to organize a visa to stay here, study visas, different categories of visas. But you need to organize that. That would apply to any country. And always best to apply from outside of South Africa. So when you arrive, you arrive on the correct visa. It's it's very difficult. Probably the same in the United States too to arrive on a tourist visa and want to change to a work visa. The government nowhere look, looks fondly upon that. So organize all of that well in advance. You would need to budget, but South Africa's currency is really, really weak. So dollars go extremely far. So if I'm thinking a, a really nice burger in a good restaurant will cost $8. Oh wow, that's good. That's not bad at all. And, and do you happen to know anything like like does the Green School help facilitate that at all for international families, or do you happen to know off the top of your head sort of what the general rules are about entry and exit, and is that something that can normally be facilitated, or is it a, quite a challenge? Yeah, so we're in touch with some agencies who specialize in visas and will help families secure visas. We don't do that as a school, but we'll put you in touch with people who can support you with doing that. You would obviously need to budget that to rent a, a home. You'd need to buy a car. Uh, you really do need to own a car if, if you're living in this country. Public transport isn't good and you do need to have reliable transport. And then a question often asked about this country is, well, what about safety and, and, and crime and so on? And as with traveling anywhere, particularly in the third world, you've just got to be have, have your eyes open. Um, a lot of crime is opportunistic. So I wouldn't leave my briefcase and wallet in my car visible when I went into the shops. You know, I, I wouldn't leave my front door and gate wide open while I went out to walk the dog. You know, so just don't leave your possessions or things just, just within easy access of somebody who thinks, oh, I quickly you know, grab that wallet over there. There are parts of town you don't want to go after dark on a Friday night. But for most part, life goes on as it does anywhere in the world. And, you know, I walk my dog in the park every evening and I take go down to the beach in the afternoon and love taking my kids for a hike on the mountain. So, but, but you, you, you're aware that there are just places where you would just be careful about in, in the world. Yeah, that's and you've seen a bit of the world too. So I mean, you you know, it's not a it's not as if you've just you know you've just lived in South Africa your whole life and that and you're you're coping with something there. You you know what it's like, and so that's uh, I think that is that is good perspective, especially I bet I would imagine for families who are looking at places to per perhaps relocate for a semester or something. You know, they're going to be very concerned with with safety as opposed to someone who's maybe a little more young and adventurous and, and not so concerned with that. So, And actually, that, that does bring me to a question I was I meant to ask you earlier, but can you talk a little bit more about the family that does that, that sort of makes this a temporary stop? Um, because I think that is something that differentiates the, the Green School from, from some other types of schools where that's sort of normal. Um, if I understand correctly, you know, you have people that are sort of transient coming and going, perhaps even going from one green school to the next in succession. Yeah. So I would love to hear a little bit more about your perspective on that. Uh, so Green School Bali relies almost 100% on expats coming to stay for a semester or a year or a number of years. And often people stay a lot longer than perhaps they first planned to. Here in South Africa, and I think the case is very similar to New Zealand, the majority of people are locals uh, who are sending their kids to an alternate school for an alternate model of education. But we have a, I think we're probably at about 15% uh, international families, uh, and they just add such a richness to our school culture. And uh, you know, there's Spanish conversations and Portuguese conversations and Dutch conversations, and it's just great to have those folk on campus. By and large, they, they set up a business that can operate remotely, and whether it's for three months or six months or a year or longer. We're still a relatively young school. Uh, but we find that those families really enjoy the experience of living abroad. Opportunities open up in the new country. And so, yeah, they've they've really, really enjoyed it. Others have said, look, we're coming for three months and at the end of it, we're headed home. 
and that's worked well too. And and we welcome those families. Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. That's that's what I've uh, I've heard that quite a bit, which I think is something that's really really nice to know that they're welcomed because I feel like in a lot of school systems, if I showed up with my kids and it's just you know throw and you just said, hey, look, I'm here for three months. I mean, I don't know what kind of experience the kids are going to get in thrown into that environment. But if they're in an environment where this is sort of normal, there is some transientness. There is uh, a welcoming environment for that, and then also for those families that want to go say they want to switch back and forth between Bali and South Africa or Bali and 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 New Zealand they have that option and I, I think there's something very uh, satisfying about that something sort of calming and we have a coffee shop on campus with a co-working space with the great Wi-Fi great coffee great food so we want parents not just to drop the kids off at the gate and head off down the road but to come in you know have a cup of coffee work from there we've got a great parent community called the seed and it's just a community of like-minded people sharing lifestyle ideas, yoga classes, entrepreneurial ideas. Um, and we want to just facilitate those rich conversations between our families on campus. And so that, that, that's a big feature that, you know, through your kids on campus, you'll get to meet some really interesting people who share a, a similar perspective on parenting and life and adventure. Wow. Oh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that, that sounds kind of like the dream for a lot of young parents, I think, listening to this is because you're getting that community of like-minded people. You're kind of finding your tribe a little bit. And then you're also putting your kids in a situation where you know that they're going to thrive. So it sounds very idyllic in a lot of ways. <laughs> Is there is there anything else on the Green School? I want to ask you a couple more questions about South Africa and Cape Town, but is there anything else on the school experience that you feel like we didn't get to that that would be good for uh, for people to share? We we didn't go into any details about uh, you know pricing or acceptance and entry and things like that. I don't know if you want to get into any of that, but if there's anything else, it'd be great to share. Now, anything more about the school? Our website is uh, www.greenschoolsa.co.za. Just uh, put uh, Green School South Africa in your search engine uh, all the information about the school is there click on the admissions tab you'll see all the pricing as i said our south african currency is relatively weak to the dollar so by international school standards it's pretty good value and yeah just pop us an email and, and come and visit us sounds great i think uh i think i think you probably will have some about abroad listeners that will that will do just that uh, i know from the emails that i get that this is uh this sounds right up the alley of, of a lot of them before i let you go i would love to just hear a little bit more about about south africa for, we've never covered south africa on the show and i have not been to south africa so i have very little perspective except the beautiful pictures i've seen of your coastline and cape town and some of the things that a lot of the world knows, but could you just talk a little bit about some of you, you touched on it a little bit, but just a little bit more about some of the beauty of of the country and the and the city of Cape of Cape Town and kind of what what brought you back there? Yeah, so Cape Town's a one of those cities that is built around a mountain and around some beautiful beaches. So there must be a hundred different breathtaking beaches around Cape Town. The surfing here is fantastic. The diving is wonderful. My wife is a very keen sailor and there's a very active sailing club out of the yacht club here in Cape Town. Uh, I enjoy rock climbing, mountaineering uh, through the mountain club. I got involved with mountain rescue. So uh, that's been a big part of my life. So it, it's a, a, a beautiful city. And perhaps I don't know what California is to America, Cape Town is to South Africa. It just attracts those kinds of people. And so there's incredibly good restaurants and live music and uh, coffee shops and uh, a, a really rich music scene in town and a good drama scene in town. And then, yeah, just perhaps 40, 50 miles from the city center are just these beautiful wine farms and this wine farming country. So you're, you're in the Napa Valley. Only, only our wines are, are just a little better. Yeah, yeah, of course. Although, although you probably want to test them and to see if that assumption is true and, and we'd have to decide how would we 
know what a good wine is. And like good all learners, you'd, you'd have to set an experiment to decide what's the correct sample size. There's mathematics and everything. It sounds like that sounds like my kind of class. You sign me up for the wine tasting. I'm I'm in. So there's a strong coffee culture. There's a strong art and music culture in in town. Uh, it, it's very much a, a global melting pot, not only from people around the globe, but from people in, in Africa. And you'll find lots of people here from Zimbabwe and Malawi and the Sudan and, and all around Africa um, you know, as people come here seek, seeking economic opportunities. I think perhaps for, for uh, international travelers, one of the South Africa, like so much of the third world, poverty and wealth is very close by. You know, you, what, one of the things that perhaps might strike you is just how one sees those people just up really close, but they're incredibly entrepreneurial and will set up a coffee shop or a small business on the street corner and uh, be making a living. And just know that your tourism dollars provide so many of those little informal traders, you know, the, the guy who runs the coffee shop, the guy who, who's selling fruit on the street corner, provides those people with a living. Um, and, and your tourism dollars really trickle through an economy that benefits just so many people. That sounds like a wonderful way to invest your tourist dollars, folks. I, uh, I I hope to make a trip down there. My wife and I have talked for a long time about making a winter escape from from the northern hemisphere down there. What what's the temperature in the uh, in the what's the highs in the winter? And uh, the highs of winter. So in your winter today, it would be uh, about thirty degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in uh, in Fahrenheit. And then the nights would drop down to about twenty. So yeah, you 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 just need a, a t shirt and, and a pair of shorts, and you're away. Cape Town has winter weather. So, um, you know, the, the wind can pick up and the weather can change very, very quickly. So uh, in, in the trunk of my car, I've, I've got a, a hat and a rain jacket and a wind jacket. And uh, yeah, just, just in case you're it's unpredictable. Four seasons in a day. Uh, you got to be prepared. Uh, well, f- tw- 30 degrees, about that's about 85 or so, I guess. So imagine 85 degrees Fahrenheit in um, in February. It sounds like a, a, a nice place to go put the kids in school. Andy, I know you have things to do and I, I want to let you go. So um, I, won't, I won't keep you any longer. If there's anything else you want to share with the audience, please go for it. We will link to the website and any other links that you provide in the show notes. So that will all be available at a quick click. But anything else you want to share before I let you go, please go for it. Otherwise, thank you. This has been amazing. Chase, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you. And uh, I've I've really enjoyed the time and look forward to meeting you if and when you come to visit. And anybody listens to the show, please give us a shot. And and we'd, we'd love to talk. Fantastic. Thank you, Andy. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase, and this has been another episode of About Abroad. For those of you wondering how you can best support the show, I have made it super simple for you. Just go over to the show notes of the episode that you just finished listening to and click on one of the two following links. Aboutabroad.com slash newsletter to get our monthly newsletter. No spam, guaranteed. Or ratethispodcast.com slash aboutabroad, where you can quickly and easily leave a review for the show. It's not just important to me. It also helps more wanderers just like you find us. Finally, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And we will see you again next week. Thanks again. Hasta luego, amigos.